Hello, film lovers. Yes, it's that time again. Sit down, relax, whap out your popcorn and pop in your headphones. It's time for the Films I Love Most podcast. film lovers and welcome to the films i love most podcast i cannot believe we are back for another episode so soon this year is just flying by it is nearly christmas i'm christmas shopping already and it's not even the end of november i'm doing very well actually thank you with my christmas shopping this year i am not going to buy it all on christmas eve unless there i've forgotten somebody which is very highly likely so i'll have to run and get their present on christmas eve but yes we are back for another episode and it's been a very eventful week for us because i don't know whether you've noticed but we've been asking you on facebook instagram and twitter what your favorite christmas movies are and you have been telling us that it's love actually actually pretty much everybody who's emailed back is going i love i love actually I love Love Actually, Um, which is fine because Love Actually is a perfectly, perfectly good choice for your favourite Christmas movie. It's warm, it's beautiful, it's got a good heart and amazing actors in it. So why not pick Love Actually? Um, I'm sure you'll all be watching it over the next month, enjoying a bit of Hugh Grant action, which I often do. So yeah, Love Actually at the moment is winning in the poll for the best Christmas movie. Which upsets me a little bit because I really want... I'm not going to tell you what I really want to win. Because scattered through past episodes of the Films I Love Most podcast are one-word clues to my favourite Christmas movie. Put these words together. Send me an email at filmilovemostpodcast at yahoo.com and you could win yourself a stocking full of Christmas gifts. So, that is filmilovemostpodcast at yahoo.com. Go back through our past episodes of the Films I Love Most podcast, even the first episode. Who knows, there might be a clue in the very first episode that we did back at the end of May, early June. So, hunt for those clues, put the words in order and you will have the title of my favorite christmas movie send me an email and you could win our bag of goodies so that's our christmas competition if you follow us on facebook instagram and twitter or you listen to the podcast you will know that also this week we have announced the films i love most audio cinema this is our audio drama arm of the podcast we launched it this week we are working closely with the RN, RNIB, which is the National Society and Royal Society for the Blind and Partially Sighted. And we are going to be raising money for them and creating audio cinema for the ears. Or our, as our tagline says, a movie in your mind's eye. Our first project has been announced. It is I, as in you have two of them. And it has been written by me, and my friend Harry McShane and it's brilliant I mean Harry contributes to the podcast quite a lot he helps me out and we've written this together and I could not be more happy with the story and the plot and it is a roller coaster it's a one hour audio drama we're going to be releasing it on the podcast 10 minutes each so there'll be 10 so sorry six 10 minute episodes released here on the films i love most podcast now psst come closer we also have just finished a very rough draft of our second audio project and i'm going to announce what it is now because it is very exciting and i can't keep it in now i grew up in essex and when i was at school i used to hear stories of the most haunted house in the in the country 
being just on my doorstep in St Osith. So I am producing and writing a documentary with my friend Harry McShane about the cage in St Osith. Now if you don't know what the cage is, go on Google, have a look, do some research and our documentary is going to be released in October 2020. So that is something very, very exciting to look forward to. Oh God, I'm so excited. It's actually a little bit scary. We're working on it at the moment and I'm having a couple of sleepless nights because of all the research we've done. It's very, very interesting, but a little bit disturbing at the same time. And the project is called The Cage That Whispers. And that will be released in October 2020. You heard it here first. Hello, and now it's time for movie news. And both pieces of news today are Disney related. Now, obviously, Disney owns everything these days from Marvel to Star Wars to Indiana Jones to the Muppets. Don't get excited. There's not going to be another Muppet movie, which I'm very sad about. But we're going to be talking about Star Wars. So, The Rise of Skywalker is out next month. We are very excited here. Midnight tickets booked. Thank you very much. And it has been announced that The Rise of Skywalker will be, will be in fact, the last Star Wars movie. Now, whether this means it's the last Star Wars movie altogether or whether they're just taking a break because there's been a lot of Star Wars content out over the last five years remains to be seen but this could possibly be the last Star Wars movie for a generation and that makes me sad because it's become a bit of a tradition to go and watch a Star Wars movie on Christmas Eve um, apart from last year when we went and saw Mary Poppins because Han Solo came out in May whose decision was that rubbish but if that's the case then it'll be interesting to see what Disney do with the Star Wars franchise especially with the new television series that are being released, which we're going to talk about so much more when it comes to the small screen, because I have seen the first two episodes of a Star Wars spin-off, and um, it's there's a lot to talk about, put it like that. We will talk about that in small screen. And yeah, so if you're, you've got small kids, like I've got a nephew who's three years old, it's a possibility they might not have a Star Wars movie in their growing up years, like... We did with the prequels, yes, I know, but at least we had Star Wars content. So fingers crossed that this is not going to be the last that we hear of Star Wars for a while. I hope that there's lots of different avenues that Disney decide to take, which I would be very excited about. And also, we have some news about the What If series, which is a going to be a TV show based on Marvel characters around the concept of what if. So what if um, it wasn't Banner that came infected with the Hulk virus, it was it was somebody else. It was Black Widow, for example. Can you imagine, like, so it's like what if sort of key events that happened in the Marvel films were different. And Robert Downey Jr. has signed on to play Iron Man in the series. So that is really, really exciting. Because even though these are TV shows, they're extensions of the films and they're going to be a lot more accessible to an audience that might not be completely into Marvel, but I might want to dip their toe in. And therefore they would go back and rewatch the back catalogue of all the Marvel movies, which I'm actually quite jealous for somebody who hasn't seen the Marvel films going back and watching them from Iron Man the very beginning. So, yeah, look out for What If. I think it's going to be a really interesting series. And I could definitely see the sort of the concept of What If spreading to other things like maybe Star Wars or like for a TV show, Doctor Who, I think would, would benefit really well from the What If like motif. I know that it's been done on audio with Big Finish Productions, but yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is back as Iron Man. Who knew? He's only just left. I think I can wipe away my tears from Endgame. And now Tony Stark is returning very, very shortly.
it's time for movie reviews. Yep, I've got it all set up here. I'm not very good with technology, so I have to push a lot of buttons and just hope for the best. But it looks like the best has happened. Excellent. So, first review of the week is... Oh, that wasn't a drum roll, that was me dropping my cup of tea. Um, the first movie is The Good Liar, starring Helen Mirren and Ian McKellen. Now, I saw this in a cinema screen two days ago, and I was the only one there. So it's doing really well. Um, I think it has a bit of a niche audience. I think actors will go and watch it because Ian McKellen and Helen Mirren just give outstanding performances as their characters. Um, but I don't think that it really appeals to so much the cinema audience of today and what people are really looking for. So it's one of those very niche films, which is probably why I was all alone in the screen, which was fun and daunting at the same time. I could crunch my snacks as loud as I wanted, but I constantly kept looking behind me because I was a little bit scared. But Helen Mirren plays Betty and she is recently widowed and she goes online on an online dating site. She's a bit of a silver surfer to find a date. And she ends up meeting with Ian McKellen's character, Roy. And they have a lovely first date and they agree to meet each other again. And Roy is having trouble with his legs. He's uh, been injured or he, you know, he's getting on a little bit. So he's finding it hard to climb stairs. So Betty decides to ask him to come and stay with her. Yeah, so it's pretty obvious from the get-go that Ian McKellen's character, Roy, is an utter bastard. He is a con man. He is after Betty's money. He is... There's um, sort of subplots of him. You know, you see what his everyday life is like. He goes and swindles people out of their money, asks people to invest, and then just runs with the cash so he's not a very nice character but as the the plot slowly develops you realize that he is actually a bit of a darker character than what you first think and as the plot and the twists start to unravel I found it quite interesting I mean it didn't make sense it's a little bit like you really have to suspend your disbelief to to really engage with the story but as it unravelled, I really enjoyed it. I know the critics have absolutely panned it, but I thought it was really, really interesting and really good. But I think the reason why I think that is because the performances are spot on. Helen Mirren, always good. Always perfect in whatever she plays. Ian McKellen is this dottery old man and then just completely switches when he goes into con man mode. Um, <laughs> I mean... Watching Ian McKellen swear after watching him for so long in the Lord of the Rings movies is quite shocking. But he delivers those sort of curse words with such panache that you just think, mm. you know, he could say anything and it would just sound fantastic. And then you've got Russell Tovey, who plays Stephen, who is Betty's grandson, who has suspicions that Roy is not who he says he is. And by golly, he's right. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was, I thought it was well acted. I thought the plot, even though it was bonkers, it was, it moved along at quite a interesting pace. Um, at one moment we're in London, the next minute we're in Berlin. We're finding out things about Roy's life, about his past, and even though the twist at the end, well, one of the twists at the end, is blatantly obvious, it's still fun to watch it play out, and. The, the subsequent twists that come after that are also fun, ludicrous, unbelievable, but they're played with such conviction that you just enjoy watching it. And I really liked The Good Liar, and I don't understand why the critics hate it so much. So I'm going to give The Good Liar seven and a half out of ten. So tell me, have you done this a lot? Met people on the computer service? 
don't you find it's always the same? You mean the anticipation followed by the letdown? But I tell myself, brace up. This time it will be different. Which is why I must now confess to you a deception of my part. My name is in fact not Brian, it's Roy. To the future. How much do you think she's worth? Nearly three million pounds. You didn't take the lot? You bloody bet I'm going to take it all. Is that your grandson? It's too soon to be getting so close to him. I've grown very fond of you. Do you know who you are? You're the only person on this planet who makes me feel that I'm not alone. I know things about you, who you really are. You don't want to do this, Roy. It's the game. It's the adrenaline rush. What if it is? Seems like you've had quite a past. <laughs> Enough to last several lifetimes. Just a blink. Your life's changed forever. You know, it's very peculiar doing things you'd never imagined. Secrets between you, God, the devil, and the dead. You don't know him! So we don't often review documentaries here at the Films I Love Most podcast, but I saw a documentary the other day called The Amazing Jonathan, and I thought I have to speak about it with you. And it's The Amazing Jonathan is about a comedian slash magician who grew up and performed in America. He's an actor, a writer. He was known as, um, you know, he was a bit like the Paul Daniels, I suppose, but he also called himself the Freddy Krueger of magic. So a lot of his acts would show him like soaring body parts off himself and plucking his own eyeballs out, which I don't think Debbie McGee would be very happy with if old Paul did it. But it's pretty much the same relationship with the audience that Paul Daniels had with the British public. And he... Amazing Jonathan is a very interesting character because he went on a talk show and announced that he only had one year to live. The documentary is set three years after that event and he's still alive and kicking. So the documentary maker, uh, Benjamin Berman, decides to delve more into that side of Amazing Jonathan's story. You know, there's suspicion that maybe the diagnosis is not correct or with Ben with Jonathan being sort of a magician, a, a conjurer, maybe this is not quite what's happening. I, I, I'm going to be really careful. I don't want to give too much way about this documentary because I think that if you go and see it, it's best to see it with no knowledge of it whatsoever. So I've just given you the bare bones there. It's really, really well made and absolutely compelling from the very beginning. Amazing Jonathan as a character is very watchable and actually I felt very sorry for him, not because of his diagnosis of his heart condition and in imminent death. I think I felt sorry for him because he reached the top of his career quite early on and has nowhere else to go and he can't perform anymore because of his condition so like there's a scene at the beginning with his wife and they just say it's very difficult to wake up in the morning because it's just the same old shit every day they have nothing to drive them and when it comes to actually doing a minimal task like posting a letter it becomes a huge thing because their lives are so subdued and isolated now it's a really, really interesting documentary and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And if you can find it, definitely go and watch it. But watch it with an open mind. Don't do any research online. Just go. It's called The Amazing Jonathan Documentary. 
It's out on the 22nd of November. I'm sure it's going to be shown somewhere, maybe like the Curzon or Everyman Cinema. But if you can find it, watch it. And send me your thoughts on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter because I'd be really interested to see what you guys think. But don't give any spoilers away because people want to go and see this film with no prior knowledge because that's the way to enjoy it. And I'm going to give Amazing Jonathan 8.5 out of 10. Do you remember the first email you ever sent to me? No. It's very short, very simple. So it ends with, if we just stick to the truth. What's your point to this? What are you saying, Ben? Put your hands together for Amazing Jonathan. The Amazing Jonathan sort of deconstructed magic. He was like a rebel magician. I loved him. I performed in over 100 TV shows, made millions of dollars, and everything came crashing down when I was told I had a year to live. It's not a joke. So, my diagnosis with the heart problem was years ago. I'm overdue. Do a little speed now and then. He's never going to quit. I want to go back on the road and do some more shows. He associates the success with the drugs. What are we telling him to go back to? It's not a good idea. What if he died on stage with people laughing because they thought it was part of his bit? Do you think there's any chance he's fabricating his diagnosis? The amazing Jonathan setting off a little bit of a comeback tour. Is he still sick? You know, you just never know with him. Is this a joke? Every morning I wake up worrying that he's going to not be alive anymore. Everyone thought that the whole dying bit was a prank. I feel dizzy. You need answers, buddy. Why are you even asking me that? Are you disappointed that I'm not dying in your time frame? Oh, don't, wait, don't go. You're wasting my time. What is really going on? This is way out of my realm. It's like private investigator work. Access might be cut off. This is my answering machine. Mm -hmm. I feel bad that I'm using him for his death. It's been going on for too long. He's been working on this for years. You need to finish something up. You're dealing with a mess. And they don't want to be filmed. <laughs> what is the story here? I want you to smoke with me. If I was in your shoes, I would smoke meth. It's guns of journalism. Keep telling yourself that. Absolutely not. You have to. I'm making a documentary on you. The other documentary team was there. Huh? So is it a race to get yours out first now? Why don't you see how weird that is? They do. We both gonna kill each other. have spoken about this film on the Films I Love Most podcast before, but now it's had its official release, and I'm very, very excited that you guys are going to get to go and see it. I saw this at a press screening for the, Fil for the London Film Festival, and I saw it about two, three weeks before it was actually shown at the festival, so I saw it quite early on, and it blew me away, and the film, of course, is Monos. Now, I have spoken about it. I know some of you are probably like, oh, we know what you said, but I'm reevaluating it because it is now available to you. Monos is directed by um, Aldrero Landis, and I described it last time as a bit like Apocalypse Now for kids. But when I say for kids, I mean that kids are in it. It's not a film for kids. I have to really stress that. And the mood the cinematography, the music, the acting, the locations, everything for this movie came together for me. I thought it was an absolute masterpiece. I watched it with the same sort of mindset as I watched Apocalypse Now, and it has that vastness, it has that sort of military intelligence about it, but it also has this very strange air of mystery. We don't really know what world that these kids exist in is it our world is it in the future is it in the past it's very timeless this story and that's what i really really enjoyed about it and also the scenes set in the jungle are so well made it's like gorilla cinema it's you, you see some of the actors which are kids young adults in such precarious situations that you think how did they get away with filming that like there's a scene in the movie set um, where some kids fall in the rapids 
and you're watching it thinking, but that's them in those rapids. Like, it's so dangerous. It's almost like health and safety has completely gone out the window. Um, some people would think that's a good idea. But it's really, really good. It's really well made and it's beautiful. And I think it would be um, for my nephew's generation, it will be Apocalypse Now. And I'm, I'm not, that's not an understatement. It's, it's seriously one of the well best films I've seen in a very long time. And it's so well made. And it won the best film at the London Film Festival. So that just shows you how good this film is. I'm so passionate about this movie. I think everybody should see it. And if you're really interested in film, that you then you will not see a better film this year than Monos. And I give Monos 10 out of 10 because it's a masterpiece. since the revolution. It is a shame that your people suffered. But bounty hunting is a complicated profession. said you were coming. They said you were the best in the Parsec. Would you agree? it's time for the small screen governor mm, that was awful i do apologize um yeah it's the small screen i, I actually sounded like bag of chips from the Pool drag race then <laughs> much better um oh we could talk about Pool on this section of the podcast it is the small screen uh loving it team bagger all the way although the way that she spoke to her mum the other day i was not appreciative but if you know if you watch the show, then you'll know what I'm talking about. But still, Team Bagger all the way. Whoop, whoop. Um, but we're not going to be talking about that now. Firstly, we're going to be talking about The Mandalorian. Now, I hinted that we would be talking about this earlier on. Because this is the new Disney Plus Star Wars 
spin-off. I know just those words combined just make me so excited. So The Mandalorian is based around the bounty hunters. So Jango Fett and Boba Fett, they were bounty hunters in the Star Wars universe. And this series is focusing on one bounty hunter in particular and his adventures in the Star Wars universe. And I'm loving it. I'm absolutely loving it. I've seen the first two episodes and I'm gripped. I think the the look, the style is totally Star Wars. And John Favneau, who's written and directed this, you can just see that he loves the Star Wars universe and the attention to detail and the little sort of nods to the original trilogy and the little Easter eggs in every single scene are amazing and so well thought out. The plot at the moment is unravelling quite slowly. The first episode had our hero Mandalorian being sent on a mission to capture and kill a bounty. And when he finds who he's looking for, it's not what you expect. Now, I'm not going to tell you because it is brilliant. And the second episode, all I'm going to say, contains a lot of Jawas. Houdini! Which, to be honest, is heaven for me because I love the Jawas. And I really hope that Disney do a spin-off of Jawas at some point in the future because I want to know more about that society. I mean, obviously they're scavengers and they look for ship parts and everything, but I want to know what 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 do they eat? What do they eat? And actually you do get a little hint of what they eat in episode two of The Mandalorian. Performances are fantastic. Obviously there's a lot of voice work. Uh, Pedro Pascal, who plays The Mandalorian, most of you will know from the Game of Thrones. He's the one that gets his head crushed. Yeah, you know him. Um, he plays Oberon. He delivers so much to the role, even though you have n- not seen his face yet. He hasn't taken off the helmet, which Mandalorians are forbidden to do. So his acting is really coming through that suit, which is so iconic. If you're a Star Wars fan like I am, the Boba Fett bounty hunter suit is probably my favourite costume of any Star Wars movie and any Star Wars character. It's so iconic. And to see this Mandalorian pretty much in every single scene going through trials and tribulations is really, really a joy for a Star Wars fan like me. And I'm sure that hundreds of you, thousands of you, millions of you out there will really, really appreciate what The Mandalorian stands for and what a new chapter it is for the Star Wars saga. And I'm very, very excited to see where the story goes from here. And you can watch it on Disney Plus. So just go to their website or go to their streaming service sign up and then you can watch the mandalorian you can also watch lady and the tramp the film which i've heard is really nice but at the moment it's not my cup of tea i'm going to save that for christmas day i think next up on the small screen is war of the worlds now war of the worlds has been adapted so many times it's probably most popular adaption was in early 2000s Steven Spielberg made it with Tom Cruise and that has been sort of the ballpoint of where War of the Worlds has been over the last couple of years if you don't think about the musical which I grew up on and I absolutely love so if you are a fan of Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds then that will always be the most iconic version of the story But we're talking about the screen and War of the Worlds is about to come back as a BBC One drama. It was meant to come out last year around Christmas time, but apparently, rumour has it, they had a little bit of trouble with the special effects. They weren't up to scratch. They wanted to go back and spend a little bit more time on it. So they've done that now and it's going to be released this Sunday which is going to be the 17th of November. So it's going to be his Dark Materials and Straight After War of the Worlds. 
So um, it's set in London during the Edwardian era and George and Amy attempt to start a new life together, but this is interrupted by a Martian invasion of Earth. Now, the big difference from the book to the series is the introduction of the character of Amy, who's played by um, Eleanor Tomlinson, who all of you will know if you watch Poldark. Uh, Ralph Spall plays George. Um, he's the narrator in the book and has been sort of written, him and Amy have been written as sort of a duo who are having to stand up and fight against the Martian invasion, which is the big, huge difference. But apart from the fact that his wife is with him the whole time, this is going to be the most faithful to the book, I think, as in location, because every other film that's ever been made of all the worlds has always been set in the States. Whereas the original book, I mean, Horsewell Common is where the Martian pod lands for the very first time. So it's a very British story, but it's never been adapted with a British location. So this is going to be really, really interesting. I've seen the first episode. I was lucky enough to go and see the first episode at the BFI. Um, yeah, I mean, it is a spectacle. I think I suffer from watching it because I know the story so well. I grew up with this story. This is the 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 plot that got me into watching and reading science fiction and, and horror was War of the Worlds. So I know the plot of this inside out. And even though I did thoroughly enjoy it, I didn't feel like it was War of the Worlds. It just, it felt a little bit to me like a completely different story. And I'm not sure if that is because of the inclusion of the Amy character. Um, because to me, War of the Worlds is a very solitary story about George and his, his fight to get back to his wife. Whereas in this drama, she's there and they're there together as a sort of strong couple so i don't f i feel like the the stakes aren't there even though there's a martian invasion so the stakes are quite high but individually for these characters i'm not quite sure what their motivations are apart from to run away which they, they it needs something else like i said i've only seen the first episode it's two episodes long so who knows the second episode might save it but as it stands I'm not a massive fan of All the Worlds, but I think it's going to complement a Sunday night drama fest very well as a, a two-hander with a, his dark material. So watch it because of that. But if you don't enjoy it or if you think I'm wrong and you think it's the best thing ever, then please contact me on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and we can have a chat about it. Now we're heading over to the United States to speak to somebody who has probably the most... This is the most strangest film I love most I've ever done. This is Dr. Dredd over in the States and he is going to be talking about the film that he loves most. The film I love most is 1991's Silence of the Lambs. Starring Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster. Yeah, uh, I like this film. You know, this is my favorite film, probably because it really draws me in. Uh, it's suspenseful, and uh, in in a way, it breaks the barrier between uh, the viewer and the actors because uh, oftentimes the actors are talking directly into the camera, and, and it makes me feel almost as if I'm there. Uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins does an awesome job, awesome job, as Hannibal Lecter. Uh, he's probably my favorite movie villain of all times. So, Dr. Dredd would give Silence of the Lambs a four skull, my top four skull rating. Uh, definitely one of my favorite films. It's, it's really hard to pick. A favorite, but Silence of the Lambs. And, and, you know, me being an old school horror guy, you would think it would be something like 31 Dracula, but but uh, now the suspense in Silence of the Lambs is, is really what makes it stand out. So, your friend, Dr. Dredd, recommending 
Silence of the Lambs, 1991, Anthony Hopkins, Jodie Foster. Very available. Check out this movie. Thank you so much, Dr. Dredd. You are an absolute star. I could not think of a more expressive way to describe such an amazing film. Yes, Silence of the Lambs. This was a film that I remember buying. I think I bought it at a car boot sale on DVD for the first time. And obviously I knew that the lore and the myth behind the the film with Anthony Hopkins' Hannibal Lecter. But I wasn't prepared for the plot line and the story and the narrative that this film delivers and to this day I still whenever I see a well I get a little cold shiver up my back it is pretty pretty disturbing but Jodie Foster is brilliant in this film I think it's probably her best role and she has this naivety to her but she's also a very strong, independent character. When back then, there weren't many of those in film or on television. So it almost paved the way for more strong, independent female characters in film and taking the lead. And I've read the book of Silence of the Lambs and the book is definitely builds this sort of sexual tension between... Uh, Clarice Starling and Hannibal Lecter and I'm quite glad that the film doesn't do that and then in the film which follows Hannibal also in the book if you read it Hannibal and Clarice sleep together and I'm so glad that that is not done in the film because I don't see their 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 relationship as sexual it's a meeting of the minds and I think that is far more interesting than just two people wanting to sleep with each other and the film doesn't feature actually a lot of Hannibal Lecter. Even though Anthony Hopkins won the Oscar, it's a little bit like Judy Dench winning the Oscar for Shakespeare in Love. They hardly appear in the film at all. But what they do do is they steal every single scene that they are in. And their characterization is spot on perfect. And some of the conversation and scenes from Silence of the Lambs have now become like pop culture references which is just the mark of how good and strong a film can be i remember watching sights of the lambs one evening when i was babysitting and i've never fully gotten over it and the scene when hannibal breaks out of prison is absolutely genius and still is thrilling to this day in fact you know what this is really making me want to go back and watch it i'm going to watch it tonight i'm so excited um the follow-up hannibal is also very interesting and very underrated i think it's a very well written film directed by ridley scott and if i were you if you've never seen any of the hannibal lecter films i would definitely go back and watch manhunter not Red Dragon. Even though Red Dragon is a really interesting film, you'll get so much more out of Manhunter, which is the original version of Red Dragon, then Silence of the Lambs, and then Hannibal. It is a fantastic trilogy. Some people think that Hannibal is not as good as Silence of the Lambs. It isn't, but it's its own animal. And of course, Jodie Foster was replaced in that film because uh, she didn't want to go back to the role, which is completely understandable because it's you know, it must be very difficult for an actor to, to get into that mindset of death and murder and evilness every day. So I completely understand why she didn't do it. But that's the order that I would watch them in. And I still think to this day that Silence of the Lambs is probably in my top three thrillers of all time. So I give Silence of the Lambs 10 out of 10. Thank you, Dr. Dredd. Now, a lot of people have said that they think that my podcast is one long advert for the BFI and the BFI Film Festival, which, you know, it is. I mean, it's the British Film Institute. I am British and I talk about film. So it's pretty much my mecca. But I am going to say that at the moment at the BFI, it is musical season. And for Film Found for a Pound, I decided to go with a musical this week. 
So we had some other additions. People have sent in things like uh, The Square, which is a film that I am talking about in the future because I absolutely love it. I just didn't do it today because I wanted to talk about this film more. Uh, the Last Five Years, which is a musical starring Anna Kendrick, which I actually haven't seen because I've seen the stage show. And I got so upset by it. It's such a sad story that I haven't come around to watching the film yet. But this week I've chosen Cabaret. Starring Liza Minnelli, Joel Grey. I think it is one of those films that every time I watch it, it just gets darker and darker for me. The older I get, the darker Cabaret gets. <laughs> it's really, really interesting. Cabaret is about um, a girl called Sally Bowles who lives in Berlin. She falls in love with a gentleman who, you know, is obviously... She's a bit of a floozy old older Liza Minnelli in this film she is a little bit of a wild child one could say she works in the cabaret Kit Kat club and she falls like I said for Michael York's character Brian and they have this sort of very tense very ex extreme very concentrated relationship which ultimately doesn't end very well. I don't want to give the ending away for anybody that hasn't seen the film. But my favourite scene in it is when um, Sally Bowles, Liza Minnelli, Michael York, Brian Roberts meet uh, Maximilian. And he is a wealthy German man. And they both make friends with him. And Liza Minnelli's character sleeps with Max. And she finally decides to disclose this to Brian that she's had this affair and in which she says, I'm sleeping with Max. And Michael York's character just comes back with, so am I. And I just think it is a classic scene and such a brave scene for a film that came out in the 1970s. I mean, it came out in 1972. So this film is very brave in very, very many ways. The heart of the movie is the fact that it is set during the uprise of the Nazis. And that darkness is there in the music, in the story, in the way that some of the characters express themselves, especially the MC. He sings a song called um, If You Could See Her Through My Eyes, in which she dances or which he dances with a gorilla on stage. And it ends with the line, if you could see her through my eyes, she wouldn't look Jewish at all. And that to me now is still very, very shocking. At the time, I can't imagine the reaction to to scenes and and dialogue like that, because... You know, this isn't very long after the war. And I think that Cabaret is so... I mean, it's obviously it won lots of Oscars, but these days it's so underrated. I think that Cabaret should be shown in schools. I mean, it's an amazing film to show young people about society and its morals and its and where everybody was at the time just before the war started. Um, I think that Cabaret is an absolute classic and I cannot wait to watch it again. I have it on DVD, so I will be watching Cabaret again to coincide with the musical season at the BFI. So if you love your musicals and you want to go and see something on the big screen, then have a look on the website of the BFI, book a ticket, get down there. I've seen Little Shop of Horrors. Um, I've seen Hedwig and the Angry Inch, Jesus Christ Superstar. So they're the three that I've gone and seen at the BFI on the big screen. And it's such a rewarding experience. Um, just try not to sing along because people do frown upon that. I learned that the hard way. I give Cabaret 10 out of 10, of course. Now, I spoke about our competition at the beginning. I'm going to speak about it at the end. If you go back through our back catalogue of podcasts here at the Films I Love Most podcast, then there are one word clues 
to my favourite Christmas movie. Now, all you need to do is find these clues, put them together and then email your answer to film I love most podcast at yahoo.com. Now, we've had quite a few entries in already. I really appreciate the fact that people have gone back to listen through past podcasts. They must really love my voice more than I do, which is, you know, impossible. But please, please have a go and you could win a sack full of Christmas movie goodies, which is right next to me right now. And I'm having a look through and uh, yeah, oh my goodness. Oh, the person who wins this is going to be so lucky. So I say it every single week and I mean it. This podcast is nothing without you. So get involved, email me or Go on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter and let me know what are you watching at the moment? What films are you enjoying? Maybe I haven't seen them. And if I haven't, I would love to watch what you guys are watching and then give my reviews or give me your reviews or let's just talk about film. That's what we're here for. This is why I do this podcast. I want to bring films that you might not have seen into your consciousness and therefore you will go out and watch them and enjoy your life and enjoy your film watching experiences. This is why I do this podcast and I absolutely love it. And I'm so excited about the films I love most, audio cinema, coming soon. I've given you a couple of exclusives on here. Shh, don't tell anyone until I release it publicly on Facebook. Yes, that is us done for another two weeks absolutely amazing you've been great i've been mediocre please let us know what your favorite christmas movies are because our christmas episode is racing towards us and i'm so so excited have a lovely fortnight film lovers and i shall see you very very soon goodbye don't forget to follow us on instagram facebook and twitter just search films i love most podcast (laughs) 